Matthew 10, 29 through 31. The topic tonight, again from last week, is victory over insecurity. Jesus asked a question. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? We would say a penny. And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Insecurity. Unless I miss my guess, at one time or another in our lives, we have battled insecurity. We live in an uncertain world, and we live in uncertain times. And to be insecure is to lack confidence. It is to lack trust, whether it's in ourselves or someone else. And I know that there are many causes of insecurity, but I want to say tonight very clearly, the chief among all those causes is our failure to trust God. And I'm there sometimes. And Jeremiah wrote these words, chapter 17, verse 7 and 8, we don't have them. On the notes tonight, Jason didn't put them up there because I didn't give them to him. We do have part of them, but it's not his fault. Jeremiah said, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And Jeremiah went on to say, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when he comes, but her leaf shall be green. And shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now, if you're a student of the Scripture, you know that it reminds you of Psalm 1. Like a tree planted by the river. And God says through Jeremiah that if we trust in the Lord, if we make Him our hope, we will be like that tree planted by the water, putting our hope in God. The psalmist gives believers this assurance in the ninth Psalm, verse 10. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. And not only has he not forsaken us, but he never will. He never will forsake us. Most of you have heard of a man named Moses. And they are nearing the promised land for the second time. 
40 years have gone by since the first time they were on the border. But the second time is soon to happen across the border. And God has told Moses, because of his disobedience, striking the rock, he told Moses, you'll not go in. And so Moses knows that he's about to be taken home to be with the Lord. And can you imagine, can you imagine the insecurity the nation of Israel was going to have? What are we going to do now? And so Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6, Moses gives a challenge to the people of Israel. And he says to them in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 31, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. And here's the key. For the Lord your God, He it is that goes with you. He will not fail you, and He will not forsake you. Glory to God. Moses said, I'm going to be gone, but you got something better than that. Someone better. God will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake us. So that being said, the question I have tonight, and I'm speaking to myself as well, If we know God, since we know God, put it that way, we know He's with us. The Bible says so. And God's Word cannot lie. Why do we still experience feelings of insecurity? Because we know God is with us. Why do we still experience times of doubt? Why do we still have fears in our lives? Since God is with us, we know the Bible says that, why at times does God seem so far away? How many know tonight that as a child of God we have an adversary? Yeah. And he doesn't like it because we're serving God. And our adversary, of course, is Satan. And Satan has a a whole arsenal of weapons that he uses against us. And I'm convinced that one of the biggest weapons Satan has is doubt. Getting us to doubt God. And Satan loves for you and I as Christians. He loves us to question who we are. Are you really... A child of God. Did God really say? And he also loves for us to question how we measure up to other people. And so I want you to realize this battle of insecurity, at its core, it is a spiritual battle for you and I as children of God. Paul wrote the church at Ephesus, chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high, or some versions say, heavenly places. 
I want to remind you tonight, folks, it's an invisible battle, but it's a battle that's real. It's as real as a battle with tanks and guns and artillery. This is a spiritual battle, and it's real. It's going on in my life. It's going on in your life. And Satan wants us to feel insecure over the meaning and purpose of our lives. He wants us to feel insecure about where we're going. And he wants us to feel insecure about how we are going to get there. So one of the reasons for insecurity is it's a weapon of Satan. Another reason for insecurity is when we find ourselves relying on our wealth and possessions rather than relying upon God. Some years ago, and I think I'm sure I've told this story, but my dad got a phone call from one of those, I guess it was before we called on robocalls, but I don't know. And they said, congratulations, Mr. Luthie, you have just one second prize. He said, oh, that makes me mad. I've always wanted the first prize. Now, of course, he was pushing the issue, and he didn't really care. He knew it was going to be some kind of scam. But somehow, our world tells us we've got to strive to be number one. We've got to work hard to be number one. And you remember a few years back, I haven't seen it for a while, I've seen the bumper sticker on cars, the one who has the most toys wins. The one who dies when the most toys wins. How many know the Madison Avenue approach loves that? Everything is always new and improved. They come out with a new, I don't know, is the iPhone still out there? I don't know. If you don't have one, guess what you want? You want one. We want the fastest car, the biggest house. And if we don't have that, if we don't have those things, the world says we are failures. But the Bible is clear. We are not to set our hopes on earthly riches. We are to put our hope in God. First Timothy 6, verse 17, we read from that chapter this morning, not the same verse. But look what Paul says to Timothy, this young preacher. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So Paul says, Timothy warned them. Warn those that are rich in this world. Warn them that whatever they do, don't put your trust in their riches. Put your trust in God because He is the one who gives you everything to enjoy. And I mentioned earlier we live in an uncertain world, and that's true, especially when it comes to riches. 
And because riches are uncertain, it will certainly result in insecurity for those who are trusting in their riches. Sometimes insecurity comes in the form of worry about the future. And I know no one here worries about the future. We know that's not true. Jesus was very clear and very emphatic when he wrote and when he said these words in Matthew 6. He didn't write them. He said them. Verse 31 through 33. Jesus said, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows, think about that, that you have need of all these things. But seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And if you're like me, you say, man, I believe God's Word. If God's Word says it's true, and I read a verse like this, and the Bible tells me Jesus said, I know what you need. I know everything about you. I know you need those things to live and to survive. I know that. But he said, here's the key. Don't worry about it. Don't don't." Fret over it, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. That's what the unsaved people do. I know your need. And Jesus said, if you'll just seek me first and my righteousness, I'll add all these things to your life. And I want to suggest to you tonight, if that verse is not true, what else is not true? It is a promise from God. So whenever I find myself worrying and having fear about the future, what I'm doing is I'm doubting God's provision. And what that does, it gives growth to strong feelings of insecurity. It brings a lack of peace in our life, and it always results in fear and depression. And I mentioned our adversary a moment ago, Satan. And folks, I want you to realize, whenever we doubt, Satan wins. Satan wins. Another cause of insecurity can come from being preoccupied with the things of the world. How many know that whatever it is that might be turning your stomach in knots today won't matter a week from now? And again, my heart goes out to the family of that young man. But I want you to know that some things that matter earlier that day don't matter right now. They realize there are more important things to worry about 
And so sometimes we're insecure because we're preoccupied with things of this world. John, 1 John 2.15, John wrote this. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When will we learn? When will I learn, Lord? I'll never find security in this world's people. I can't find security in the things of this world. I hope you know by now we definitely can't find security in our government, in a political system. Or anything else. And I realize even for us as Christians, as conservatives, it's easy for us to become obsessed with having the right leaders in government. Obsessed with having the right laws and the right policies. And we often have the mindset, and there's some truth to it, of course, but our argument is that when the government is in the wrong hands, the nation is doomed. But I'm trying to learn something. The Republicans are not in charge. Neither are the Democrats or the Independents. Because my Bible teaches me that The world's institutions are not in charge. The Bible says that God is in control. And his sovereignty extends over even world leaders. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turns it with us wherever he will. When will we learn? God has got the heart of the king in his hand. And he turns that heart wherever he wants it to go. In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he has a sneaky suspicion that his soothsayers and magicians and astrologers are fakes. He calls them together and says, fellas, I've had a dream. And I want you to tell me the interpretation of that dream, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. You know the story. Daniel seeks the face of God. And God does reveal that dream to Daniel. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar had about the kingdoms of the world. And Daniel realized it wasn't from him, it came from God. And because of that, he breaks out in praise. And in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, he says this about God. 
He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know, K-N-O-W, know understanding. Now again, I realize and I believe it's biblical that we ought to practice being good citizens. And I believe we ought to vote the Bible. We ought to vote the Bible. But we have to recognize there is no government policy that can save us. Only God can save us. Only God can do that. Isaiah 33 and verse 22. Isaiah wrote these words. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 5 and 6. Thus saith the Lord. Cursed be the man that trusts in man. And makes flesh his arm. And whose heart departs from the Lord. For he should be like the heath in the desert. And shall not see when good comes. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. In a salt land. And not inhabit it. So we shouldn't put our trust in the government. And by the way, and I hope you know my heart tonight, it's dangerous to put your trust in your pastor or other church leaders. And the reason is, when we do that, we forget those folks are human. And they can, and at times, they will let us down. And I want to remind us all tonight, as we deal with this topic of insecurity, the only sure foundation is Jesus Christ. We've got to put our trust in Him. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believes shall not make haste. Folks, we have a sure foundation in Christ. Stand upon him. Jesus Christ is the solid rock. He's the only hope. Of living a secure life rather than being insecure. Matthew seven twenty four. Jesus said, Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house on a rock. How many on the rock tonight? We've got to put our trust in Christ. 
another cause of insecurity is when we become preoccupied with ourselves. My friend, whenever we get an it's an all about me mentality, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. The Bible warns us over and over again about self-absorption and it warns us about pride. Paul in Romans chapter 12 verse 3 said this, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man, meaning every person that's among you, not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but think soberly as according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Don't become self-absorbed. And by the way, when will we learn that God's work is not done by might nor power? Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, saith the Lord. Zerubbabel, if I can say his name, faced a challenge. Difficult days. Difficult times. And the challenge was monumental. And I read a verse like that and it indicates to me that Zerubbabel was having bouts of insecurity. And God says, don't worry about it. Because what you're going to accomplish is not by your power. It's not by your might, Zerubbabel. It's by my spirit. What a God. And if we are going to have, we're going to experience true security, we're going to need to recognize what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4.19. And Paul said directly to them in his letter, But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. And again, we all struggle from time to time with this battle of insecurity. But when that happens, I want to remind you of a promise God made in Isaiah 26, verse 3. God said he would keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the Lord because he trusts in the Lord. Oh, folks, can you hear me tonight? Can I hear myself? Am I listening to myself? The key is keeping my mind Stayed on the Lord.
And I mentioned this last Sunday evening, I believe it was. But one of the main keys to overcoming insecurity has to do with believing in the providence of God. Uh, Jesse, and I, Jesse and I were talking about Jesse and I were talking about that this past week. And uh, as Freeville Baptists, one of the things we are accused of falsely is we do not believe in the providence of God. That is not true. We do. But we also believe in, in man's free will to make choices. But understand, at the end of the day, God is going to accomplish his will. Okay? He's in control. And that's how we as Free Will Baptists believe. And I mentioned last week, just going to highlight them again tonight. Five things, there are probably more than that, but we're just going to do on five tonight that help us better understand the problems of God. And, and by the way, if none of these are true, or any one of them is not true, we're in trouble. Number one, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, he upholds all things. Isn't that true? Now, how many know if that wasn't true, we're in trouble? Number two, according to Proverbs 21, verse 1, he governs all events. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, he brings everything to his appointed end. Everything. I mean, think for a moment, folks. Some of the things in the Bible. And when the story starts out, and if you haven't read the end of the story, didn't cheat, you're looking at it and say, wow, there's no way that's going to work out. Wait, what does God do? He brings it to his appointed end. The fourth thing is, and we read from Daniel 2.21 a moment ago, he does it all the time, and he does it in every circumstance. At the end of the day, God's will is going to be done. I think the key for us as Christians is to accept the will of God. But then according to John 14, verse 13, other verses as well, whatever God does, it's all for his own glory. But also know it's for our good as well. It kind of helps us better understand. Because we have to realize, folks, nothing ever happens by chance. <laughs> that brings us back to Matthew chapter 10. If you know the scripture, you know that Jesus never gave false hope. He never said that serving him was going to be a rose garden. In fact, he never even said that spreading the gospel, witnessing, was going to be an easy task. And here in Matthew 10, he warned them very clearly, you're going to go out and you're going to minister. And you're going to spread the gospel, but understand something, fellas. I am sending you out into a hostile world. Matthew 10, verse 16. 
He said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Matthew 10 is a very serious, a very somber message. And here in Matthew 10, thank you, Lord, Jesus gives us the basis to find security in a very insecure world. So where do we go? Where do we run to when there's so much trouble in our world? Our first point, we touched it last week, we'll just highlight it real quick. When trouble comes, I'll guarantee you this, God hasn't forgotten you. Again, Matthew ten twenty nine. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. What in the world would Jesus care about? What would God care about these two birds or any bird? Jesus had just told the disciples in verse 28, don't fear the man that can just only take your physical body. Fear the Lord who can destroy your soul in hell. And this awesome God this awesome God is still the God who cares about the sparrows. And my friend, that's a high view of our God. Because he's involved in even the tiniest, seemingly to us, insignificant details in the universe. Real quick, two implications. Number one, sparrows do fall. That's true. Eventually. And boy, I hate to do this because I don't want to be a, a damper on your life tonight. But sooner or later, troubles come to God's children. Number two, Jesus, they, they can't fall without your father. So sparrows fall according to God's will. And again, God brings everything to his planned end. Now think about this. Even that sparrow that falls, God sees it. And it's part of God's providential oversight of the universe. Because God sees the sparrow, do you think he sees our pain? You know he does. He sees our suffering. He sees our loss. 
And you know that God is never surprised by anything that comes our way. And while I certainly rest in the providence of God and the purpose of God, my friend, we've got to learn to rest in God's, in the power of God's all-sufficient grace. So number one, trouble will come. Number two, even if trouble comes, God cares for the tiniest details of your life. Look at verse 30, Matthew 10. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I must confess tonight, I have never tried to count the numbers of hairs on my head. Anybody here try to cut? Count. And if what I read is true, let me help you out. The average human head has 100,000 strands of hair. Blondes now, by the, I don't know who came up with this, okay? I'm, I'm assuming it's correct. Blondes have an average of 140,000 strands of hair. Brunettes, an average of 105,000 strands of hair. And if not here tonight, but Rhonda, you can tell her, she probably has 90,000 strands of hair for the average redhead. Now tonight you can go home and lay, lay awake thinking about that. I know you will. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> what it's worth, good trivia, but I don't think about it too often. And when I do think about it, if I do, and, and by the way, if, if it wasn't for Pam, I don't know, my, she combs my hair all the time. Have you counted them? Not yet? Okay. <laughs> but when I think about my hair, it's not about an individual hair. A few years ago, I was down at Newtown, that little oil change place there, as you come into Newtown uh, from Mount Cornwall Hill, and I'm waiting for the oil change, and sign on the wall said haircut 50 cents and of course I realized it was just you know a sign being there and so I said hey fella I want one of those 50 cent haircuts he said which one do you want cut <laughs> so we rarely think about a single hair We think about our hair, we think about, is it too long, is it too short? Is it time for a haircut? But when's the last time you reached up and plucked one out and said, how's number 475 doing? 
But Jesus knows the hairs on our head. God knows the hairs on our head. I don't know, but God does. And folks, that reminds me that the God we serve is a God of details. He numbers all the hairs on my head. Whoa. So taking the average for my immediate family, 100,000 for me, 100,000 for Pam, 100,000 for Jason, 100,000 for Jesse, 100,000 for Jeremy. And that's just, that's a half a million hair just for my family. And God knows them all. But what about all of us put together? How many hairs is that going to be? God knows each one. All the people of the world, he numbers them all. Billions of them. So what's the point? What was Jesus trying to get across here? I think it's clear. If God cares for things that matter so little, he cares for the things that matter much more. And we matter much more. And if God knows each strand of hair individually, and he does, that means he knows me individually. He knows you individually. And here's what I love about it. God's knowledge about me is not just general knowledge, it's specific knowledge. The same is true about you. And God knows us through and through. He knows every minute detail about our life. And my friend, he knows us better than we know ourselves. So when I think about the fact that God knows the very hairs on my head, I realize that God is concerned about the most tiniest details of my life and yours as well. So because of the fact that Jesus says he knows and he's aware of what happens to sparrows, and because he knows every tiny tiny detail, Jesus says to his followers, you don't need to be afraid. I've got this. So sparrows will fall to the ground. God's people will die, sometimes by martyrdom. But let me remind you folks, the God who watches the sparrows, the God who numbers the hair on your head, says that you are so valuable that he sent his son to die for your sin. And because of the value that God places on us, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Our God, our Father, is in control. 
He sees the sparrow fall. He knows everything that happens to us. He controls everything. And not only does he care about the big problems of life, he cares about the smallest detail. Let's stand together. Some of you may have heard of Adrian Rogers. He died some years. Great preacher, great man of God. If not all the time, almost most of the time, at the end of Sunday, Sunday evening service, he would end by saying something like this. You can go home and sleep tonight and rest well because God never does. And my friend, we can rest in him tonight. Thank you.